All right, let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a familiar passage, at least from my perspective, and one that I enjoy preaching from, and I'm going to preach from it again today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> it's been a while since I've preached from the passage, but I have preached from it, and I will continue to because there's so much there, and it's so encouraging, so helpful. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, we're going to read there, and read verse through 27, uh, verses 27. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, the Bible says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertain, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now Paul's writing here to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were a people that were saved out of some of the most wicked and wretched uh, lifestyles you can possibly imagine. Their culture was very vile, it was very wicked and sensual. You know, we live in a very sensual, very wicked and evil day as well. And there's no doubt about that. But the truth is, is that sometimes we get the idea that our culture exceeds or supersedes everyone and uh, that it's worse than any others and that ever existed on the, place of, uh, the, 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 the face of the earth. But the reality is, is that even though our government has graft, even though we have very evil and unethical behavior, ungodliness and immoral, uh, more immorality abounding. There were other cultures just like that in the past. Corinthians, or Corinth being one of those. Uh, don't forget now, mind you, there was a culture, there was a society that was so wicked that God even exterminated them. God got rid of them in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis with a flood. The Corinthians were a very wicked culture. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, It is reported commonly, commonly, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? There's things going on, he's saying, in the church amongst believers that doesn't even go on in the world. That's amazing. <clears throat> he goes on to say that one should have his father's wife, and ye, he says, are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. He said, you guys know what's happening. You see it taking place. It's not even something that the world does. It even surpasses, even goes past what they do. And it's going on right in your midst. It's commonly reported. And you don't even care. You're not ashamed. You're not concerned about it. You just forget about it and move on. He says, wow, there's a real problem here. It was commonly reported that people are described as being puffed up instead of broken hearted. That means prideful, arrogant about it. And so sin was very prevalent in their society. And now that sin has begun to creep into their church. <clears throat> and you know what? Sin creeps into churches all the time, doesn't it? I mean, if it creeps into our lives, it's going to make its way into the church. And so that's just a natural progression. And Paul here is warning God's people. He's warning them. He reasons with them in an attempt to promote protection and ultimately their future prosperity. 
He wants every one of them to be winners. He doesn't want one of them to be a castaway, not even one. The word castaway is from a Greek word, uh, adokimas, and it means unapproved, unapproved. It's the negative participle of the word dokimas, meaning acceptable or approved. So you have adokimas or dokimas, and so one means unapproved, the other means approved or accepted. Paul is, is in this passage, is likening the Christian life to a race. He also likens it to a prize fight. And he says that no matter what event you run in, no matter what event you fight in, there's going to be a prize for the winner. Someone wins the race. Someone wins the trophy. Someone gets the prize. And the Christian life is no different, he's saying. And so what Paul is really saying is, is that ultimately there are going to be some rewards, there's going to be some trophies handed out in the Christian life. In verse 25 of the passage, he says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. That's wonderful. And basically, Paul ultimately is thinking, I don't want any one of these to be considered unacceptable. I mean, when he says in in, in 2 John, the writer says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. And in Paul, Paul knows their salvation is not in question here. That's not what he's addressing. But their service is in question now. What's going on in your life as a result of your faith? And so the focus is on their crown, not their conversion here. And Paul is speaking again of races and fights and crowns, and this is the plight of the saved. This is the hope of the redeemed, that we will one day reach heaven and receive a crown. The lost can't say the same thing. In verse 27, we find connected here. Notice what it says in verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Again, all that's connected back to this race, this fight, these crowns. And Paul's saying, you know, the only way that we're going to win the race, the only way we're going to get the crown, is to bring our body into subjection. Otherwise, we'll never be conditioned for the race. We'll never be prepared for the battle that takes place. See, losers are discarded. Oh, I know that's not, you know, culturally acceptable to say that, but losers are discarded. All you have to do is watch the Olympics this year. You lose, you are what? Out. Discarded. Somebody needs to tell them that everybody wins. Right? I mean, isn't that the direction we're going in our culture? Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody's a winner. You don't have to work hard to succeed. You just have to participate and everybody wins. Well, it's not like that in life. And may I say it's not like that in eternity. There is a battle to be fought in the Christian life. 
There is a race to be run in the Christian life. There are crowns to be ultimately received, accepted, and earned as a result of that service. Losers are discarded, disposed of, done away with. They are castaways. Paul's saying, I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want God to consider me useless or unprofitable. I don't want him to dispose of me or discard me or do away with me. You know, years ago, preaching would go like this. If you're, gonna, if you're going to uh, uh, not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to use your talents for Jesus Christ. You're not going to serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. God will put you on a back shelf one day, and you'll be there and never, ever serve him again. Well, we used to hear those things. You'll be a castaway. If you won't use your talent for God, God will eventually put you on the back burner. He'll cast you aside. Today we just say things like, the God of the second chance, God of the third chance, God of the fourth chance, God of the fifth chance, God of the 150th chance. Doesn't matter how I live, what I do, God has to accept me because that's what God does. I mean, that's the mentality we've kind of come to in our culture. And the truth is, you have to accept every boy and girl. doesn't matter whether they really practice, whether they really strive, whether they really memorize, whether they really work at it. It doesn't matter as long as they participate. They're winners. And you don't know something? That's not how it works here in the Bible. Paul's saying, listen, you Corinthians, you've got sin abounding in your presence. You're not even ashamed of it. As a matter of fact, you're prideful and arrogant about it. You somehow think you have some kind of progressive thinking and that you have accepted people when others wouldn't and you're much better than even they are because you're not so legalistic. You're not so traditional. You go ahead and let sin abound in your church because at least people feel loved and accepted there. He says, no. No, sin has no place in the house of God. It has no place in the, the life of the believer, he says. He says, don't you realize that you're in a race today? Don't you understand you're in a battle, a fight? Don't you realize there are crowns at stake? Paul says, I don't want to be a castaway. I wonder today, do you? Do you? I think we all want to be valuable to God, don't you? I think so. I don't think you'd be here if you didn't want to be valuable to God. And I'm not talking about value for the simple fact that you're just a person, a creation of God. Everybody has value. Why? Because God created them. We're not questioning that issue of it. But when it comes to value, I think about certain tools in my toolbox. There are some that are more valuable to me than others. Why? Because I use them more often. I'm not saying that others aren't valuable to me. But let me tell you something. In my line of work, a hammer is always needed. It fixes a multitude of problems. I went out and bought me a hammer. I mean a good hammer. Now, I did get it at Harbor Freight, so it was cheap still, and I got it on sale, and then I still had a 20% coupon. I think I paid 10 bucks, but it's all steel. You can't break it. You can't bend it. Don't you hate when you miss something and you break the handle? Crack the handle? Now, some of you don't have that problem because you're not strong enough to do it, but I do it all the time. So I had to get me a metal one. But I mean, I use that all the time. It's a very valuable tool to me. Why? Because it's accessible to me. It's in my presence often. I'm using it continually. And God's saying to you and I today, be in a place in your life where you're always accessible to me. Put yourself in a position where I can always reach out and grab you and use you. I don't want to be in a place where God says, where are you? 
huh, I guess I don't need you. You're cast away. Paul says, I don't want to become a castaway. I've got to bring my body into subjection. If I'm going to run a race, I better get my body prepared for it. If I want to fight a fight like a boxer, I better be training, preparing. It's going to be tough. No matter how good a boxer you are, you're going to take a few licks. Might go a few rounds. Better be in shape. He said, I've got to bring my body into subjection lest I become a castaway. Lest I am of no value to God in a sense. Lest I am discarded. I don't want to become that, Paul says. So I guess the real question today is this. How do you keep from being a castaway? How do we keep from being a castaway? And I want to share four things with you if we get to them. We may only get to two. We may get to three. We may get to one. But I do want to get out of here on time today. You say, what's that? I don't know. I determined that. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, I just, we're going to do our best. We're going to get you out of here. These buses, I've been doing it. We've had a rough time with the buses lately. You know, our buses run in the afternoon, and unfortunately, some of our bus captains leave at 1230 to go pick kids up. And so I, they got to eat yet. You know, and we try to, we feed them every week because we, we don't want to put undue stress on them and strain. <clears throat> They're very valuable to us. But the problem is at 1230, some of them got to get on a bus, so I want to make sure we're done in plenty of time from now on trying to help them. We've had a few weeks that it went a little long because of, you know, you guys had to, like, honor me and my wife and all that stuff. But, you know, <clears throat> it wasn't my fault. So we're going to get that taken care of. By the way, that trip went great. You should be seeing some pictures on Facebook eventually. That's not anybody's fault but mine. I have them, and I keep telling Brother Kevin, I've got them. I'll give them to you. I just don't know how to send them all. You, you, know, you ever get your pictures trapped in your phone? Mine are trapped. I don't know how to get them out of there. Okay, but I'll get them. I'm going to hand my phone to him and let him take care of it. But he'll show you a few pictures. But Sherry and I had a tremendous time. We were really appreciative of your generosity. What a tremendous time we had. It was wonderful. And uh, we really enjoyed that very much. Well, let's have a word of prayer. And we're going to consider this thought. How do you keep from being a castaway? And I think all of us want to make sure that we are certainly tools in God's hand. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather here today. Bless us. Encourage us from your word. And Lord, I, I'm so glad that, Father, we can have a good time in your house. Father, I believe today that a Christian ought to be the most joy-filled, happy person in the world. I know circumstances can get us down, and Lord, we understand that. But Lord, help us, Lord, just to always find our way back into the light of your presence and just the joy of our salvation. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. How do I keep from being a castaway? First of all, rest. I want you to rest. You say, rest? I'm going to expose a myth to you. I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. It's been a number of years, I'm sure, and you may have forgotten it by now, but it did have a tremendous illustration to me. So you, you may have remembered it, but I'm going to expose a tremendous, uh, uh, an expose a myth today. The myth says this, muscles grow when straining them. Muscles grow when straining. You say, no pain, no gain. Now, there's a part of that that's true. That's true. Okay, if you don't push yourself, if you don't strain, you're never going to grow. But hold on. The truth is, if you really get down to it, muscles grow not when you are literally straining them, but when they are resting. Y you know that? You say, no way. Yeah, it's true. Like I said, I used myself in the past as an example of this. I'm not going to take my jacket off today because I'm not going to do that. You probably still remember the, the very day that 
I've made a few poses up here. But the fact is, my muscles and your muscles grow when they're resting. It's a, it's a fact. You exert, then you rest. Muscles that are torn down then begin to build back up again. And they build up while resting. And now let's consider that in light of the scriptures now. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, you might be able to remember, you might be able to quote it. What's he say? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. The Lord says, you come to me, and I'll give you rest. Well, if we apply that truth to, the, to, to this principle or spiritual principle, then the picture is very clear. Jesus calls to those who are very weary from running the race, from fighting the battle, from striving in this life to live for him. And he says, come unto me and I will give you rest. So we go to Christ for rest. But what we get instead or on top of rest is strength, power to continue in the race, to continue to fight the battle. We don't just go to God weary, oh, I'm so tired, Lord. And we do go that way. I can't take it. Oh, have you ever been there with the Lord? I get there, it seems, more now than ever. I'm well, I'm with Baron and Baron. Oh, Lord, help me. I feel like that Fred Sanford years ago. <laughs> they, got, they got reruns of him now on this, you know, and I just happened to catch a, a, a minute or two of it the other day. Uh, I'm coming to see you, Elizabeth. You remember, remember how he used to do all that stuff? I mean, I'm telling you, I feel like old Fred sometimes. I mean, I do. I feel weary and wore out. And I go to God, and I'm just tired, and I'm looking for rest. He said, come unto me. Oh, you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I say, that's me. That's me, Lord. Pick me. And I go to God, and I need some rest. But more than just rest, he gives me strength then. It builds me back up. He does the same for all of his children. He does it for all of us. And he gives us rest for the purpose of growing in grace and in the knowledge of him. 2 Peter chapter 3, turn there if you would, chapter 3, verse 18. Years ago, this was one of our themes for our church one year. Is, uh, the passage, we use this particular passage. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. <clears throat> The Bible says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Notice again, but grow in grace. God has ordained that we grow in grace. Not only that, but in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if muscles grow when they are resting, guess when you grow? When you're resting. God's pretty neat about, about design. God designs things in a way that things mirror things. They match things. You know, spiritual and physical kind of go together. God makes it that way. Oh, I know you have to strain, but remember, that's the, that's the fight. That's the race. But the real growth takes place when you are resting. Isn't that amazing? 
I find that amazing to me. So if you really want to grow, then you need to rest in the presence of Christ. You say, well, how do I rest in the presence of Christ? Let me give you three thoughts. One, relax. Just relax. You know what that means? Stop doing long enough to rest. Guilty, right here, guilty. Guilty, I'm, I, I don't take time to relax. I'm moving, moving, moving. The mind's going, going, going. I was sweating bullets for almost two weeks because I had to teach that lesson this morning. I spent probably 16 hours or more on that. Now, you haven't even, we haven't scratched the surface of all of it yet, <laughs> but 16 hours probably trying to put that in my head to understand it, praying over it and preparing it because I'm so concerned people misunderstand what I'm trying to say and what I want to convey. And, and I wake up in the, in, the, in the middle of the night sometimes, it's on my mind. Bam. So let's see, oh, that's a good thought. I get up, I go to my phone, and I type in a little message to myself. I do that with messages. I woke up this morning about 4 o'clock, and bam. There it is. That's it. If I'm not careful, I never slow down long enough to relax. And you say, well, you can't help your mind running. Yes, you can. You have to learn to relax. You have to, and I have to. If I don't, you know what happens? It's called hypertension. Oh, oh, oh. Heart attack. Hey, don't think for a minute that isn't the, the largest Greatest reason for heart attack is stress. Cholesterol's high, I understand. Problem. Nothing more of a problem than hypertension, than internal stress. Listen, I, I know that a little bit, and some of you know that, probably all of you. We've got to be careful that we relax. Stop doing long enough to rest. Then number two, reflect. Reflect. Take the time to think about the Lord. Take time to think about your life and your relationship with Christ and your relationship even with others. Spend time in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer. Meditate on Scripture. Remember the goodness of God. And reflect on answered prayers. You know, when God delivered you that last time, when God gave you that nugget of truth that you desperately needed or God directed your path, your steps, and you, you made the right decision, you felt like Solomon for the day. Man, remember that. Don't forget that. Reflect on those things. And finally, remember, continually remind yourself often that it is the place of resting in Christ that you really grow strong and become truly productive in service. Why do you say that seems redundant? Of course it is. Because you and I, like that, forget that we need to rest in God. Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. We wake up in the morning, and half the time, we wait till the last minute to ring, 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 get out of bed. We rush to the shower. We rush to the, if we even eat breakfast. A lot of people don't even eat breakfast. It's not because they don't like breakfast. It's because they've never taken the time to figure out if they do or don't. They don't have time for breakfast. Are you kidding? i got to get to work. Mom's like, i got to get this stuff ready. The kid's got to go in on a bus. i got to You know, we're just bam, 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 everywhere, running, ramming, running, ramming. 
We don't rest. We've got to remind ourselves always. You do not get strong in the Lord ramming and running. You get strong in the Lord resting. Wow. One of the greatest things you can do and that I can do is rest in His presence. Just rest. Number two. Not only rest, if, if we don't want to become castaways, we need to learn to rest. But number two, we need to run. Uh-oh, here we go now. Hey, we've rested. We've gotten strength. We're strong now. Time to run. You know, it's interesting that Paul, he knew where he was going in his life. Do you know where you're going? I'm not talking today to 16-year-olds that are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life. Don't you guys grow a little weary of everybody saying, so what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? It's like, what? Who cares? I'm 16. I mean, you do need to begin to consider some of those things. You need to think about some things. But let me just give you one piece of advice, young people. Start asking yourself not what do I want to do with my life. Start asking what's God want to do with my life. Just ask that question and start to spend some time resting in his presence. And all of a sudden, he'll tell you which way to run. We're trying to figure out which way to run before we ever rest and before we ever ask the right question. We're always asking, what do you want to do with your life? Who cares what a young person wants to do with their life? Who cares what I want to do with my life? What matters what God wants to do with my life? That's the reality of it. You say, but I really want to be a doctor when I grow up. Is that what God wants for you? I'm not sure of that, but I do. Okay, hold on to that dream. Nothing wrong with that. But be willing to let God steer you. That's all. I'm not saying, just... Be willing to let God have his way. That's all. Think about the great missionary to Africa. Livingston. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head. John Livingston. No, that was his brother. David. I keep thinking of his brother John. But David Livingston. David Livingston prepared to be a, a he, he prepared in the medical field. Before you know it, he's preaching and doing medical stuff. Amazing. All I'm saying is, rest and then run. Paul knows where he's going now. He understands his purpose. He knows the course, and he's sure and very clear about it. Look, if you will, in Acts chapter 26, verse 15. Again, toward the end of his life, he's going to now stand before some different kings and magistrates, and he's going to be giving his testimony. It is always interesting to note, too, for me at least, that of all the things that the Apostle Paul could have shared with people, I mean, all the experiences he had, all the interaction he had with the Lord Jesus Christ in his, his life. He, you know what he shares with people all the time? His testimony. Isn't that great? You say, I, I'm not qualified to, to talk to people about the Lord. Yes, you are. Do you have a testimony? Guess what? You're as qualified as Apostle Paul. The truth is, of all the things the Apostle Paul wrote, and he wrote a number of books, 13 books to be exact, possibly 14 if you include Hebrews, and, and some do, some don't. But the fact is, he's got 13 books that he's accredited with that God used him to write. And yet, when it all came down to it, when he stood before the unsaved world, he only shared with them, almost every time, his testimony. What amazing. You know what? That's what God wants us to do, too, if you really get down to it. Notice Acts chapter 26. He says, Paul, let me share with you what your goals, your dreams, what your direction's going to be, what you ought to be considering important in your life from this point on. I'm going to give you some direction. A purpose for living. Acts 26, verse 15. Notice he says, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? 
He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Again, he's going back to that day on the road to Damascus. And he says, and, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which thou of which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inherit among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul says, man, I did exactly what God commanded me to do. I followed his purpose for my life. I fulfilled his purpose for my life. Moses, Moses goes into the mount. And of course, while he's up in the mount for those 40 days and 40 nights, what do the people do? Man, they get Aaron together. They go, Man, Moses, he's, he's missing. Moses hasn't been back. And we're concerned about our future. And we're concerned about our children. And we're concerned about our culture. And we don't know where we're going to end up. And uh, let's build some gods. Let's create some gods. So what they do? They threw their gold together and they, they made a golden calf. And then they went ahead and they set the golden calf up and they started undressing and they started having a little party and they were dancing and doing all kinds of stuff. Looked like 1929, the jitterbug. And all of a sudden we know that up there in the mount, uh, uh, you know, God says, Moses, listen, we got a problem down there. What, what's wrong? Well, you... He shares with him the problem. He comes down out of the mountain a little bit, and there's Joshua. God says, hey, 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 Moses. Man, there's a battle. There's a fight taking place. I mean to tell you, the people are being slaughtered by an enemy. It's the O'Donnell version. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not a battle. It's not a war. It's the sound of war. But they're listening to their music down there. And they've gotten off track. And they get down there, and sure enough, there they are, that golden calf. There they are, the golden calf. So they're stiff-necked people. we got problems with these people. And he goes back to God about it, brokenhearted because of the sin of the people. And there's something interesting that takes place now. They're getting ready to occupy the land, right? And remember, who's supposed to go before them? God is. But all of a sudden, God's a little bit upset with his children. He's like, I, I love them. I'm still going to keep my promise. But I'm not going to go up now. I'm going to let one of my, I'm going to let the angel, I'm going to let an angel do that. What, look what Moses does here. Moses in Exodus chapter 33. Turn there if you would, please. Exodus 33. This is great. They worship the golden calf. God, God, God brings Moses down. Moses crashes those Ten Commandments. Moses is upset. God's upset. Joshua's upset. The people are upset. God says, no, nope, no. Nope. You guys can go occupy the land, but I'll send my angel up. Notice here, Exodus 33, 12, or 33, 2. God says, and I will send an angel before thee. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee. What? God, whoa, 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 hold on, put the brakes on. He says, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. You don't want me 
You don't want me to go into the land with you. You don't want me to do that, Moses. I'll consume you. I'll destroy every last one of you. You're a stiff-necked, rebellious people. You don't want me to go. So I'll send my angel. That's what God's basically saying. Here's Moses' response. Look at verse 12 through 15. I love this. Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, shew me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. You don't go, don't even take us. Don't even want to go, God. If you're not going to go, I'm not either. I want nothing to do with journeying without you in my midst, in the midst of this people. You know, if we're not careful, we get to running, and we run right past God. You know, we have our own agenda, we have our own ideas and ideologies, we come up with our own plan and purpose, and we take off running. Even after we've been resting in His presence, even after He's given us the very strength to continue in the battle, the fight, even after He's allowed us and enabled us to run the race, if we're not careful, we run right past Him with our own ideas, our own philosophies, our own ideologies, our own counsels. Moses says, no. I'd rather stay right where I'm at. I'd rather not do anything, go anywhere, than to go without you, Lord. I love that. I'm going to tell you something. That's the heartbeat of the true man of God. It's the heartbeat of the woman of God. I will sit here and I will not move till you give me yourself. I want you, Lord. Man, Moses had it right. He had it right. God responds in verse 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. You know, the Bible says that God knows his children by name. He, God knoweth them that are his. He knows you today, too. You know what that means? God will go with you. God is with you. But here's the real trick. To put yourself in a position of humility... And instead of saying, God will be with me, say, I will go with God. There's, it's just a little different. See, I know God's in me, so therefore wherever I go, he'll be with me in that sense. But in my plans, in my, my purpose, and, 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 and my goals, I really need to say, I want to go with you, God. Where are you going to be? Because that's where I want to be. And that's true at the house of God as well. You may say, well, you know what? I don't know exactly what the Lord wants me to do with my life. I mean, I haven't heard from heaven like Paul. I haven't heard from heaven like Moses. I mean, I, I don't know. Well, here, here's my advice then. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. 
So I can I kind of surmise that that would kind of fall into this category. Do what you know to do. Do nothing else. Don't do anything different. Just do what you know is right then until God gives you further instruction. When you're in the military, you have these general, uh, general uh, orders. You realize that general orders basically say this, that, that you'll not, re- be re- you, you'll not uh, depart or leave your post until properly relieved. What that means is, is that I'm going to stand my post, stand my guard, my watch, until, until my superior or until somebody comes and relieves me of my duty. I don't make the decision. You know what? It's been a long time. Somebody should have been here 30 minutes ago. I'm out of here. I don't move. No, no I'm, I'm breaking UCMJ or the United States Military Code of Justice if I disobey those general orders. Hey, listen, God gives us some general orders. He says, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. And then he speaks to our heart through the Holy Ghost. And he says, I want you to do this and I want you to do that. And then we just need to keep doing those things that we know to do until God steers us in another direction. Do what you know to do. Be obedient what God has revealed to you through his word and through his leadership already. 2 Peter 1.10 says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. That word diligence is a neat word. We talked about it in our staff meeting the other day. But diligent, it means to steady in application to business, a steady in application to business, constant in effort or exertion to accomplish what is undertaken. Constant in effort or exertion to accomplish what is undertaken. Diligent. William Osler, the physician who wrote The Principles and Practice of Medicine in 1892, once told a group of medical students these things. I know it's an old book. He said, Banish the future. Live only for the hour and its allotted work. Think not of the amount to be accomplished, the difficulties to be overcome, or the end to be obtained, but set earnestly at the little task at your elbow, letting that be sufficient for the day. For surely our plain duty is, as Carlyle says, not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what is clearly at hand. Is that good? (laughs) Right there it is. He says, set earnestly at the little task at your elbow. I think about when I sit down to eat. Now, again, I wasn't allowed to put my elbows on the table. I don't know if you let your kids, that's your business. Who, you know, there's nothing diabolically wrong either way, but, but we weren't permitted to put our elbows on the table. We were told that that wasn't, you know, my grandma would box your ears. She'd walk up and go, wham, like that against your ears. Long before the uh, Ebola virus or whatever that thing's called, uh, uh, I knew what bleeding from the ears, mouth, and nose was. <laughs> Every orifice, almost, of my face from Grandma boxing the ears. As they say in America, it's all good. But anyway, <laughs> it wasn't. But anyway, she'd box your ear for putting your elbows. But here's the point. You put your elbows down, you get to work. Here they are. Boom. I'm ready to work. Here it is, right in front of me. And you know what? That's the thought. Do what you know to do. Be diligent in the things that God has already revealed to you. And you know what? You'll never be a castaway. You'll never be a castaway. 2 Peter 3.14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, 
Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Be diligent. Be diligent. Be busy about the work at hand, focused and faithful at the task at hand. Be in God's house. Be in God's word. Be witnessing to others. And God will steer a moving vessel. I don't want to be a castaway, and I know you don't either. And today we've just been able to take the time to look at just two of those four thoughts. But we're to rest. And in rest, we grow strong. Resting in the presence of Christ. Then we run. We do what we know to do. What God has already preordained. We're consistent at it. Today, maybe you're lost. Maybe you're without Christ. The Bible says in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23, turn there, would you, real quick. We're going to close. This is the closing, but let me just share this verse with you. These verses. See, the Bible makes a distinction between those that are His, the Lord Jesus Christ, and those that are of His adversary or those of Satan. You realize the Bible says, ye are of your father, the devil. He was speaking to religious people when the Lord Jesus made that statement. What he's saying is, is that there's only two fathers that a person can have that's created. Father God or Father Satan. That goes contrary again to what society has taught. Society says we're all the children of God. But the Bible says, according to Galatians 3 verse 26, we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. No faith in Christ Jesus, no child of God. It has nothing to do with being a creation of God. God loves all his creation, and we are all the creation of God. But we become the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. It's a diametric change. When I was born into my family, my earthly family, again, I was born into that family. I took their name. No matter what I do in life, I will always be part of that family. Whether they disown me, whether they tell me I'm not, I will genetically and I will practically be a part of that family. My dad will always be my dad. My mom will always be my mom, no matter what I do, no matter where I go or where I end up. In order to get into God's family, you have to be birthed into it. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 3, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Therefore, there must be a birth that takes place in order to enter into the family of God. Therefore, the Bible talks about us as children. Why? Because we had to be birthed into the family. It is another opportunity for us to see a very vivid picture that is based in a very practical setting called the family on earth, and we understand the family of God now much better. I'm a child of God. I was birthed into his family. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Ye must be born again, birthed into the Bible says this, however, in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23, And he said unto them all, If any man, chapter 9, verse 23, I'm sorry, Luke 9, 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Hmm. 
Amazing. Lose himself. Cast away. That's something. I got to read that. I, I have to make sure that's in the Bible here. Or be cast away. What's it mean to be cast away? Discarded. Oh, wow, this, we got problems now. In the case of a soul that's lost, we find that we will literally be discarded one day. Revelation 20, 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, the soul will be cast away. As a believer today, we can be cast away in the sense of our service. No longer useful to God because we don't put ourselves in a position to be used of God. We fail to rest and therefore we don't grow strong. We fail to run, therefore we're, we're not following His purpose and plan for our life. And we're not in the toolbox. We've kind of gotten ourselves away from God. And He says, I can't use you. You have no value because you're not accessible and you can't be used in service. But, but on the other hand, if you're lost today, your soul will be cast away. Discard. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I want to encourage you today to understand that God loves you enough to die on Calvary to pay for your sins. He paid for your sins. You don't have to any longer. And God wants to include you in his, his family. But you must be born into it. Therefore, you must, there must be a conscious decision to allow Christ to be your Lord and Savior. To accept and receive Him as your very own. As He Knock, you must open. You must choose to receive an acceptance on his terms. And he says we must humbly come before him. Will you humbly bow before the Lord today and say, Lord, I know if I died now, my sin is ever before me and I'd pay for it forever. Because I deserve it. I deserve that. If you can't say that, then you can't get saved. Right? You can't get saved if you don't see yourself as a sinner. But I know I'm a sinner, and I know it's worthy of death. And I know what the Bible says. I deserve hell today. But I want to be born into your family. I want to have a home in heaven. I want, I don't ever want to be a castaway. I don't want my soul cast away into that place called the lake of fire. I want you, Lord Jesus, my Savior. Will you settle that? Today, child of God, will you make up your mind to rest, to run? so that you yourself don't become a castaway today. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. We ask, Lord, for your leadership and your love. Bless us today in this time of invitation as we give folk opportunity to respond to the word of God as it was shared and given. Lord, there might be someone in this crowd that doesn't know for sure heaven's their home, that if given, uh, Father, if, if they took their last breath today, they would fail to reach heaven's shore, but instead ultimately stand before you at the great white throne judgment and be cast into the lake of fire because they failed to, at one point, acknowledge their sin, accept the responsibility for it, and ultimately receive you as their Lord and Savior. Today, Lord, may they get it settled. May they come to an altar today, see the preacher at front, and allow him to have someone take a Bible and show them how they can receive and accept the Lord Jesus as their Savior and be born into the family of God, experiencing that new birth that makes them the children of God. Lord, be with the children of God today themselves and help us to make decisions to, Father, 
rest or to possibly run according to your purpose and plan. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.